This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As someone with a very strong affection for the prophets, often when I've asked people why they veer away from them or why they have an aversion to the Old Testament in general, it often seems to have something to do with how angry God seems, how harsh he can be. Who is this God who would be so judgmental, who would inflict such pain upon his people? However, just to think of that God, the prophets, the Old Testament that way is to really miss the richness that is in the texts that are our, the minor prophets. Because our God is not in the business of raining down hardship after hardship just for kicks. He doesn't sit above the earth just itching to bring down the hammer. A more careful holding of the prophets shows us again and again that his judgment does not come out of nowhere. It comes as consequence to what his image bearers have set into motion through sin, through rebellion against him and against one another. The prophets, I would argue, don't give us a God who is cruel. Rather, they give us a God who is so patient that he would warn us again and again of the consequences of our actions and our words and our thoughts that are not in alignment with him. A holy, just, and loving God wants holy, just, and loving image bearers. And what follows as we've been walking through the prophets, we see him urging his children to course correct. Today we are in Micah and he talks about the Babylonians coming. God could have brought the Babylonians hundreds of years before this time and just ended the people. God had a valid reason to judge his people even early on. But instead, again, And again and again, we have a faithful God who gives his children second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chances. Today, we are in the prophet Micah, and we are going to be working through the first five chapters together, and we are going to see a God who is this faithful and patient. Micah was from a small, seemingly insignificant town called Moresheth in the southern kingdom of Judah, about 25 miles away from Jerusalem. Most prophets at the beginning of their book, they mention the name of their father, but with Micah, we do not get that. The lack of a father's name is supposed to amplify that he is not from a family of any prominence at all, completely unknown. So per God's tendency, we have an individual from an insignificant place, an insignificant family and background to speak a very significant word of God. And Micah is bringing this proclamation specifically to people in Jerusalem during the days of Kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. At this point in history, the Northern and Southern kingdoms have been separate for quite a while. And both are continuing to violate God's covenant and their good relationship with him. So Micah comes in, as a lot of the prophets have been, warning them of specific consequences of how they are pulling away from God and his ways. 
So Micah starts with this emphatic, listen up, you all. And then he comes in hot with this poetic unfolding of what it looks like for the earth, for God to come down and deal with sin. Micah chapter one, verses two through four says, listen, all you peoples, pay attention, earth and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple, look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him. The valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. Listen up because God is coming and he is the one who is bearing witness against you. He has seen all that you have done that is offensive to him and his good and right design for the world. And God being the one bearing witness, God being the one coming down and speaking this out, you now cannot say that you were not forewarned. You were not forewarned of the consequences that are coming. God isn't about a sneak attack. It is actually a mercy that God repeatedly is super clear about what sin causes in the world and what that then means for those who are causing those problems. Listen up, God says. Not surprising you here, not hiding in the dark, waiting to pounce on you. I am laying this out very clearly so that you know. God giving away his plans are a kindness that motivate us to repentance. So here he comes in power. The whole earth is shaking. You have this language of almost volcanic activity, but him coming in this way is coming in kindness. The trampling of the heights, this language here is literally literally this language of stomping down and the heights would be the shrines or the high places that are set up for their idolatrous worship. So the image here is God convicting of sin by stomping out, by crushing down those things that we have set up in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, and in our being that we are misdirecting our affection and our worship to, our idols. It is a kindness of God when he is launching an assault upon our idols, that he would expose them to us, expose them to others, even if and when that is painful. But why is God coming? Why is God coming in this language that is so intense and foreboding for the people here? Chapter one, verse five says, all this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. God is coming with judgment because of sin and rebellion. And it is not only fair for him to do so, but he would not be a God of justice if he did not rectify this. He wouldn't be the definition of justice if he didn't bring a reckoning when it comes to his image bearers messing up what he made so good. We ushered sin and evil into the world, into the goodness of his creation. We rebel thinking we know better, we do what we want, and then we often try to justify our actions with spiritual language. God's judgment for sin is him being fair. It is him being just. And he's really good about being specific about the nature of our sin 
And he does this here with the prophet Micah. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. They covet fields and seize them. They also take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. So the sin Micah is addressing specifically here is people using power and influence to obtain what they want, but their plans are affecting those with less. Injustice is rampant in Israel because of people being consumed by seeking their own selfish profit. The ways that we sin against one another always stem from us somehow seeking a selfish gain. And to get there, we are willing to make someone else take a hit, absorb a loss. And God takes this, this, these acts against other image bearers, injustice, very seriously. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Then I said, Now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Aren't you supposed to know what is just? You know better. But here's what I'm seeing. You hate good and love evil. You tear off people's skin and strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin from them and break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. Micah uses intense cannibalistic language and images to demonstrate the impact of the sin of injustice of using people, of neglecting others' needs, of seeking to gain for yourself at the expense of someone else. When you're using people for your own gain, when you're not treating them with the dignity that should be afforded to them as equal image bearers, you are in essence feeding upon them. That is how highly God views the sin of injustice. He says it's like being a cannibal. And God's response then in verse 4 to those who are doing the oppressing when they then cry out, it says, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because of the crimes they have committed. This is this language of God hiding his divine face, his Shekinah glory, just as those who had been oppressed by you cried out and you refused to hear. When you cry out to me, I'm not going to hear you. There's a poetic justice here. Why is he hiding his face? Why is he hiding his glory? Why is he refusing to hear? Not because he is cruel, but because he is just. Consequences of sin against him and others. God brings some more poetic justice if we go back to chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Therefore the Lord says, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. Then you will not walk so proudly because it will be an evil time. God here is saying, you devise against others, I'm going to devise against you. You go against others for your own gain, payback is coming from me. 
for those who are the victims of injustice, whose lives have been shaped by the hatred and abuse of others, those who function in this world with this constant extra weight because of how people do or could harm them, those bearing in their physical bodies the constant attempts to chip away their dignity, their value, and their worth. Right here, God is saying, I'm the one who has your back. Which means also that for those devising the wrong, for those perpetuating injustice, even if it's through ignorance or complacency, those who are allowing others to take a hit for your own selfish gain, God's saying, I'm coming for you. God is saying in verse three here, essentially, you have put a heavy yoke. It's this language of putting down weight upon others. You put down weight on others. I'm going to put weight down on you. That's going to be so strong that you're not going to be able to shake it off. You're riding high on your privilege, power, ease, and comfort. I'm going to press down on you so that you're not going to be able to be so haughty anymore. I'm coming to flip the script on you. And all these warnings of impending judgment, this poetic justice, it's God's kindness. To be so intense and direct about how we need to course correct and what will happen if we do not. Our propensity is to not take conviction or correction as a gift, but rather to reject it, to be defensive. That's what the Israelites do here. Chapter two, verse six, quit your preaching, they preach. They should not preach these things. The shame will not overtake us. This is the Israelites here, basically plugging their ears and saying, stop saying this. You're making us feel bad. We don't want to feel shame. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves. So just quit talking. Just shut out the voices that you don't want to hear because of where they're poking and prodding. And then find others who will affirm what you want to hear what will allow you to stay in your rhythms and habits of sin. Because chapter two, verse 11 says, if a man comes and utters empty lies, I will preach to you about wine and beer. He would be just the preacher for this people. Micah's getting a little snarky here, but really he's saying, y'all are just plugging your ears to the truth. And then you're like, I'm gonna go find someone else who's going to let me do what I want to do, who's going to preach about the things I want to hear preached about. It is too easy for us to kind of curate the voices that we have speaking into us and addressing where we are not in alignment with God and His ways. You can find people to affirm really anything that you want. Change who's in your feeds, alter who your friends are. Maybe you need to switch your community, maybe even your church community, if they're pushing you to try to right things where you have done wrong. Shut out certain voices and then fill in those gaps with others, with different standards, or maybe even people who only know one side of the story so that you can still be thought of as being in the right and you can remain where you are. This is all of our tendency. This is our sinful tendency when it comes to us dealing with and having to face the consequences for our sin, especially when our sin is affecting other people. We'll dodge or we'll hide from those speaking the truth to us, and then we go find people in places who can ease where we want to stay. 
But as God's people, our standards need to be higher for ourselves. As God's people, we have a responsibility to one another to, by the power of the Spirit, speak to the issues of sin, the patterns in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And we have a responsibility to receive the correction, the conviction that God brings to us. And yes, this takes spirit power in order for it to be truthful and healing and to keep our own pride in check. Micah himself speaks to his spirit power in chapter 3, verse 8. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. Friends, this is part of what it is to just belong to God, to take correction, to speak correction, to talk about the consequences of our sin. This is a matter of sin and flourishing, of rebellion and obedience, of death and life. So take care not to plug your ears or silence the voices that are exposing where you are not in alignment with God. For to receive the kindness of his warnings and correction is the way to life. To reject the truth of the reality of sin and your role in it is to reject what is best for you. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, How so, Jacob, should it be asked, is the spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these the things he does? Don't my words bring good to the one who walks uprightly? This word for good in the Hebrew, yatab, is to be made well, to be benefited. It's to be made the best. God's correction and conviction, the exposure of our sin, bring good, bring life, bring peace, bring what is best for his children. God is pointing out that, and he's warning the consequences of judgment. And when he warns the consequences of judgment, he is bringing us back to our created purpose, where things were the best for us. God's discipline is a kindness that leads to our restoration. And striving to align your heart with God is what changes his words of warning from feeling and being shameful into being a valued gift of kindness. And as God's people, we shouldn't just tolerate the conviction we get from our sin, but we should welcome it. When God brings it, even when he brings it through his other people, we should be welcoming that, like it's coming from a loving parent, a kind friend, someone who wants to bring us to a real place of healing and restoration. Micah coaches them and he coaches us in this passage as he um, kind of lays out these images of restoration in the midst of the judgment and the warnings. In chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, he throws in this hope. I will indeed gather all of you, Jacob. I will collect the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in the middle of its pasture. It will be noisy with people. One who breaks open the way will advance before them. They will break out, pass through the city gate and leave by it. Their king will pass through before them the Lord as their leader. Hope 
in the midst of warnings of the consequence of sin. This is where this is hopeful because while calling out how dismal things are here, how harsh their sin is, there is an acknowledgement in the hopelessness of how we stay hopeless if we're left here on our own. Because when you read this, look who's bringing us out of it. It's God initiated. You're lost in this. You've made a mess because of your sin and the consequences of it. You can't fix this on your own. We have to fully acknowledge that. I've made such a complete wreck of this place because of my own desire for self-preservation, my misplaced desires, my impatience, my anger. Left here on my own, I can't make it right again. God's judgment's coming for me. But thanks be to God that he doesn't place this impossibly heavy burden upon us, that we have to get ourselves out of this pit that we have dug. Here it's looking dark, but this language is, I will gather, I will collect, I will bring, I will break you out. For us on our own, the way to restoration, the way to fixing this, it's shut. Doesn't matter how gifted you are, how well-known you are, how influential you are. Doesn't matter how much you have obeyed God's rules, how many sacrifices that you have made. You cannot break through this way that is shut. But here God says, I will break open the way. One who breaks open the way will advance before them. They will break out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord as their leader. What a God, what a God that is completely in his right to say, I'm going to leave you to sit in the consequences of your sin. I'm going to leave you to be punished because of what you have done to my world, your fellow image bearers what you have done to yourself. For God to leave us to deal with the consequences and then to receive his judgment, that would be fair. For us to pay for it because of the destruction that we have caused. Instead, I'm not leaving you behind, not leaving you hanging. I'm coming for you. I'm gathering you up. I'm busting you out of this place with no hope. I'm breaking you out of the place of being trapped by all the consequences of sin. But how is it that he can break us out and still be just if there should be consequences and there should be judgment? Because Jesus. Because Jesus absorbs the justice we should get so that we can be brought into a place we don't deserve, but are welcomed to. Jesus takes the judgment we rightly should have so we can be brought then to the place of restoration. God's justice is still satisfied, just not on us. And that satisfaction of God's justice for us in Jesus is then what enables us to be moving toward a place of restoration. On the other side of God's justice is being brought back to a place that is good for you, that is best for you. That is the way it was always supposed to be. And that place is also with God. Micah in chapters four and five gives us 
multiple different images of what this will look like and what this will feel like. Micah chapter 4, verse 1 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains, will be raised above the hills. Peoples will stream to it, and many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among many peoples and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plows, their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation. They will never again train for war. But each person will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree with no one to frighten him. For the mouth of the Lord of armies has spoken. Though all the peoples each walk in the name of their gods, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. These images and more images in chapter five show us that on the other side of God's justice is peace, abundance, healing, security, life. Imagine what will be left when all that is evil and painful and destructive and oppressive, all that is of death is removed from this place. What is left is God's ideal, the best perfect plan for the world. And because of Jesus, we are invited unto that. Because of Jesus, restoration is not only attainable, but it is a reality that God made a way for us to be a part of in our present and our future. And what holds it all together is that also restored is that we're going to be able to dwell with God. Micah is using this great language of us being with God on his mountain in his house. Remember how God moved and walked in the garden before the fall with his image bearers? Back when there was this perfect shalom? That will be back also. Yes, we know God is everywhere. He sees all. He knows all. We can't hide from him. We also can't be missed by him. But restored also is another layer of our relationship with him. On his mountain, in his house, taught by him, healed by him, experiencing the fullness of the reality of his presence unhindered by any of our current limitations. Part of restoration is that we're going to get that back as well. When all relationships are restored between us and the earth, between us and each other, between us and ourselves, and between us and God fully. And while we are waiting on the fullness of this, because of God's mercy along the way, we are able to catch some glimpses of what this will be like, what this will feel like, as we are ushering this in and pushing back against the consequences of sin. We are laboring with our lives right now to bring that restoration here. That is what it is to bring God's kingdom to bear. 
This is our purpose, our call. This is what drives us forward in all the work we have to do, no matter who we are and no matter what the rhythms of our days are looking like right now. No matter how mundane they may be feeling, this is what we do. This is a great value that God gives to our lives in the here and now. That with all the ways that we can welcome the correction and the conviction for our sin and then repent and realign with God's heart, when we do those things, we are giving the world glimpses of restoration. Our minds cannot even fathom what this will be like in its fullness, but we are able to embody that here in pieces This is a promise and a certainty that one day this will be completed. And we are able to be a part of this because we should have received a poetic justice as the Israelites do here. We should have a coming down upon us what we have done to God and others in this place. But Jesus on a cross says, I'll take it. I'll absorb the right judgment that should be coming for you so God's justice is satisfied. Thanks be to God that his judgment is just and that Jesus came to bear the brunt of the judgment that should come down on you and me. God's judgment and punishment has to go somewhere in order for us to be reconciled back to him, back to ourselves, back to each other. And instead of kind of leaving us stumbling in the dark, instead of giving us an impossible list of rules to follow, instead of just kind of washing his hands of us and stepping back and just letting come what may, God's love for us is so great that he sacrifices what is so precious to him so that by his sacrifice, we cannot just be reconciled, but also be a part of the restoring that he is doing now. And he joins us to the future restoration in the future. The most unpoetic justice is what comes for those of us in Christ. It is a wonder and a miracle that we get the opposite of what we should. We are saved from judgment that we should get. We are saved from our sin, botching up what God made so good. And we are saved unto restoration. We are saved to embody what these images of restoration here are conveying in the here and now. Our lives should be giving people glimpses of God's perfect ideal for creation. Your actions and your words serve as previews to Zion, to God's house, to the flourishing of this mountain where we will dwell with him. And yes, it's a bit of a mess right now, but look at this power here that is with us and in it with us. And don't forget that this ending is a sure thing. With everything that 2021 has already brought us, this ending is a sure thing. With everything that's gonna happen this week, this is what awaits for those of us in Christ. Don't forget that. It can be easy right now, some days, some moments to lose sight of this or just in our own weakness and heaviness and struggle, to not even feel that it's true. Some moments in these days may be feeling dark, exhausting, or hopeless. So if anything more than ever, don't forsake the reminders. 
Don't forsake returning to him, to the spirit, to the truth. Don't forsake rehearsing the hope you have as you take your thoughts captive so that your life right now can bear witness to a God of sure restoration and a Jesus who has satisfied his justice on our behalf. This, friends, is what enables us to join with the saints over time that even Micah spoke to when he said, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for your justice. I thank you for what is in that that is comforting and that you see the plight of all who are being affected by injustice in the here and the now, in the past and the present and will in the future. And that you are a God whose heart is bent toward them. That you, Father, do not go easy on those who are oppressive. I do, Father, thank you for your justice and that how that should convict many of us also of where we mistreat, use, or do not equally look at others as image bearers. So I pray, Father, in those spaces that there would be true conviction. And Father, that we would know that we do not need to run and hide from you, but instead we would go to you with that. I thank you, Father, that where justice needed to be satisfied, that you did so in Christ. Forgive us for the ways that we often don't remember that or the ways that we kind of take advantage of that even. And so I ask, Father, for our own, our own hearts that the weight and the impact of that would be something that truly just sits with us day to day. Not, Father, so that we feel it as... Um, a weight that we need to shake off, but rather it would be something that marks then the value and the dignity and the meaning of the lives that you have us in now. And that you would show us in that what it means that we are able to embody a restoration, even in where we are right now. Help us there, Father. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Please join me for this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.